Andrea Hunt is a small business coach and consultant. When Andrea was in high school, she was in an alternative school. She went to cosmetology school at the same time. By the time she graduated, she was a licensed cosmetologist. She was a stylist and did hair for over 15 years. She worked for herself for a bit. She eventually wanted a change. She became a purchasing manager for an interior design firm. But her journey doesn't just end there. She was very good at sales and understood marketing. She became the marketing coordinator for an orthodontics company. She worked hard and eventually became an associate product marketing manager. She created the DEI program and worked on products from ideation to market launch. Andrea never let anything get in her way and always believed in herself. Listen to learn how Andrea navigated her career and always reinvented herself. Visit nodegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Every sub is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today I have Andrea Hunt. Do you mind giving a brief introduction of yourself? Sure. My name is Andrea Hunt. I'm located currently in Los Angeles. And um, thank you for your time and having me on the No Degree podcast, all because I chimed in on um, on a post that I felt very strongly about on LinkedIn. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. So, so what do you kind of do today? Like, what do you do? So what I do today, um, I'll give you a quick synopsis so it all makes a little bit of sense. Um, I resigned from my former corporate role in May. Um, I worked for Fortune 500 medical device company and um, it was everything that everyone warned me corporate America would be, very toxic. Um, I was sexually harassed. There was a lot of racism. I didn't have good management. It was everything um, were warned that it would be. And I kind of had to check myself with my um, mental health um, the amount of time I was spending, um, just really being unhappy and really stressed out. I've never experienced, I've had a lot of stress. I've had a lot of life happen in my life and that was very, very difficult, very stressful. Um, so prior to my corporate experience as an associate product marketing manager and marketing coordinator, um, I was a stylist back home in Denver for 21 years as a hairdresser, makeup artist. I owned a fashion consulting, personal shopping business and ended up writing a book about it. So, um, that's like, that's, that's what I did prior. And when I resigned in May, um, or I was thinking about resigning in May, I had an opportunity come up here in Los Angeles with, um, a friend that I had made who owns a couple of vintage curated vintage stores in very trendy part of Los Angeles. And she was looking for someone to kind of take over full time, take over, um, work between both of her stores, help out with some marketing and social media stuff. Um, that's a whole different conversation, but, um, I had kind of wanted to get back into my creative realm. I was brought out of retirement by doing hair for a photo shoot last year. And I realized I really missed it. And I never thought I would go back to it. Like, I was like, nope, I want to be corporate, like stable, you know, benefits, all, all the things. So for a long-winded answer to what I do now is um, I work in Silver Lake at a couple of curated vintage shops. I do styling again, like wardrobe styling, personal shopping, 
um, both in person and real life. And then I do business development for um, another friend of mine who owns um, a small business and I just kind of help navigate her. And another thing that I'm dipping my toe into that kind of surfaced through pandemic last year was I really thought long and hard about maybe going back to school to become a therapist. And I dipped my toe in by um, joining like the life coaching, which I hate that, that term life coaching world. It's so, it's so problematic. Um, But I coach women, specifically Latino women on small business, how to navigate small business, how to monetize their brands and businesses, how to do it step-by-step legit. And I help them build out roadmaps for their, for their business, anything from social media to PL to R and D everything. So that's what I do. Those are all the things that I do now. And as you and I have discussed, I'm looking to scale back on doing so many things. Wow. That was a lot. And it's a lot. Yeah. And it's interesting. You did all that without a degree. Right. And it's a very interesting transition. So let's kind of take it back. Would you want to be in high school? Like, what was the dream back then? To be honest, I didn't really have one. My mom was slash is still a hairdresser. She started beauty school, cosmetology school when she was still in high school. And when I was in high school, um, it wasn't a positive experience for me. Like I wasn't brought up to be like, hey, you could do this. You could do this. Um, You can go to school. You can go to college. Um, It was more... My, my parents split, divorced. I was kind of, I was essentially left to my own devices and all I had been told my whole life, like since I was a kid was like, just learn a trade, go to, go to beauty school, just be a hairdresser. And I didn't know that I was capable of anything else. So that's what I did. Um, I started the cosmetology program when I was 16 Um, I did that, like, it was like a full-time job. I did that Monday through Saturday. And then at night I went to an alternative high school and did my high school studies at night. Wow. So what were your days like? So you were, you were up early and what time? So you basically had like 12 to 15 hour days and as a high school student. Yep. So my, my first couple years of high school, I was in a traditional high school and it was, it was just not not good. It was not um, a good time in my life. Very, very destructive. And then I started um, cosmetology school. And yeah, my days, I started class at 8 a.m., wrapped up at four from beauty school. And then I had to start my high school studies at five. And then that went till 9 p.m. And you had homework after that too, right? Uh, we, the alternative school model where I went didn't necessarily have, um, a lot of homework because in order to qualify to do the night school program, you had to either be in like a vocational school or be taking college courses through uh, the okay, day. Okay. So they, they were at least somewhat understanding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That would be brutal exactly. to start your homework right after 10 PM. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, how was it? Like, were you exhausted? Was it, was it tough? Was it extremely tough during that time? Honestly, I just never knew any different or any better. I just did what I did. Like, that's what I was told I needed to do. So that's what I did. Um, Looking back, I don't think any 16-year-old should be doing anything 14 hours a day, you know? Yeah. I had long days 
I had long days in high school and and it was mainly because of the homework, right? Like I used to get up early and I had wrestling practice and it was a long commute. The commute is what really, I had like a 90 minute commute so that both ways you lose like three hours and it just sucks as a high school kid too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of my youth was really um, taken, you know, because I was I was just busy. I mean, I, I basically had like a full-time job and school from the time I was 16, Monday through Saturday until now. Yeah, until now. Now, so what happens is so you, you you graduated and you just started working or did you start working like how long was the cosmetology school? Um, so the program, every state is a little bit different, but you have to clock a certain amount of hours. And for Colorado, it was 1,450 hours. And then you have to do your testing and then you get your license and then you can start um, officially moving into working into the salons. And so I was actually, I, because I went full time, um, I was already an assistant, which is just the next progression of the careers. You go to school and then you become an assistant. Um, so I was an assistant before I graduated high school. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I started my career at like 16. Yeah. So how, how was it kind of working that early and like, how did customers take it? Like, did they be, did they say like, oh, I have a. I have a little girl working with me or they were like, oh, okay, she knows her stuff. You know, it, in a lot of different realms, I had to grow up really quickly. So I was always much more mature than like a typical 16, 17, 18 year old. Um, and it's it's not uncommon, you know, to do like that kind of program in high school. And it's certainly not uncommon to start in that industry young. I would highly recommend start young rather than um, you know, well into you do anything you want ever, but it's, it's a young person's game at the beginning because it's very physically demanding. It's a lot of time. So, you know, clients, like I had a really good mentor. I had a few really good mentors when I started and clients really, you know, loved having someone like young and stylish, you know, as a good contrast to like a more veteran, um, senior stylist that they would see. Yeah. So you mentioned physically demanding. How is it? Can you like describe that in more detail? Oh God. I mean, I stood on my feet for eight to 10 hours every day. And, you know, back in the day, you know, when you're young, before you know anything about self-care and getting massages and everything, you know, I was wearing like shoes I shouldn't have been wearing that ended quickly, but it's, it's very physically demanding. You know, it's like, you're standing either on a concrete floor or a tile floor, you know, 10, 15 hours a day, you're physically like active, you know, like using your arms. Um, so yeah, a lot of lower back pain that really didn't go away until I quit, like knee pain, um, wrist pain. Wow. That, I mean, it's something that we don't think about, right? But you do it all day long. You don't really get breaks because it's always like people one after the other, right? It's like, and if you kind of get a break, I guess it's kind of bad because that means you have no customers, right? And if you have no customers, you're not making money, right? Exactly. Now, what are some things that like helped you move up? In the industry? Yeah, in the industry. Like how'd you get better? What happened when you got better? You know, where I first started my career, we had um, ongoing mandatory education, which was really, really helpful. You know, they just like threw all the assistants and junior stylists into very immersive, intense education, which was really helpful. 
Um, and I just had like, I really, you know, loved it at the time. Like I wanted to be the best I could be. I loved doing color and, you know, hairstyling and photo shoots and all that. So I really made sure that I immersed myself as much as I could into all of that. And, you know, my mom being in the industry herself, like I'm, I'm just a natural creative. So a lot of that, like I grew up watching and I, I just, you know, it was like second nature to me as it was. Um, but I really just dove in. How, how has the industry sort of changed? Um, I retired, retired quote unquote in 2016. Um, by that time I was working hundred percent for myself, um, with an S corp and, you know, back home in Denver, honestly, like a lot of the girls that I worked with at one of the last salons I was at, everything seems to be relatively like the same trends change here and there. Um, I would say things that changed significantly throughout the time were like the way people book, like online booking became an asset, which was really easy. Um, you know, in the day of now social media, which is, I think a really positive tool if you utilize it correctly, you know, like seeing people's work and that is a big advertisement marketing um, component for stylists. Now, I would say now that I'm in LA, like people ask me, they're like, are you going to start doing hair again? And I wouldn't do it in a salon ever again. Um, but I'll come out of retirement for the right person, the right price for sure. Okay. No, I mean, we, we all have a price and then, you know, sometimes it's, it's cool. So now in terms of what, what about the other side in terms of learning? Like now I've seen a lot of people follow like YouTube channels and some of these channels go like crazy in depth into like coloring and styling. Would you say like that's another avenue for people to sort of learn if they don't grow up in an environment like yours where they have a parent who's sort of working on it? I think so. I mean, I don't do hair anymore. So honestly, I don't know. Um, I, i still follow some, um, Instagram accounts that are, you know, really informative. Like, I think I'll always have, you know, an affinity for, obviously I'm still kind of in the fashion industry by way of styling and the wardrobe and that component of it. But, um, you know, I still pay attention here and there, but, um, yeah, I think it's so much easier now to stay up on your skills and to be inspired and to be influenced more than it was when I did it. You know, like you literally have your phone in your hand, like you can look up yeah. anything. Whereas before, you know, we would be like, I would be hyped to get like all my monthly magazines delivered, you know, like fiddle through my my Vogue, my um, Elle magazine, you know, all, all of that. Like that's how we did it back then. Now. What did you do to get ahead? In what regard? Like ahead in your career. Because some people, right, in any career, right, they sort of stagnate, right? They have a certain level. And then other people, and it seems like you, like they get better. They learn more about hair. They learn more about different styles. They learn how to work with different demographics and groups and styles of hair. So how did you sort of improve and get to a point where, you know, you were able to raise your prices, you were able to get better clientele? It just, honestly, it just really varies. Like you find your niche, like when you're a stylist, you, you're not going to be good at every single thing. You're Well, you're going to be good at pretty much most things. You're going to be really, really great and amazing at a couple different things. Um, everybody has their strengths as a stylist, just as they do in, you know, corporate and marketing and everything else. And so I really 
took what I was good at and that kind of became like my signature. I was always really strong at color. I was really strong at a couple of different types of haircuts and that became, you know, what I was known for. So I would say, take what you're good at and utilize your strengths. I worked for a salon where there was a gal, she hated doing updos like wedding hair and like, you know, like fancy hair. And like literally it was forced down her throat for like 20 years. Like, no, you need to do this. And I was like, but she's really good at men's cuts and like, you know, color, whatever. Like, and this is just holistically, you know, as, as an approach to business, to life, to skill, to trade is focus on your strengths. Like don't waste them by trying to, you know, be good at a weakness that you have or something that you don't even like, like why bother? That's, that's a waste. So my advice would be, you know, if you have a few things that you're really, really good at and that you really love, you know, say it's makeup, it's, you know, wedding day makeup or pixie cuts or men's hair, like make that your thing, you know? Yeah. And I think pivot on your strengths, build your strengths and monetize them. Yeah. And I think as a leader, you really want to have people hone in on their strengths, right? Because you force something down someone's throat when they get something, regardless of the amount of money, it's just they just. They're exhausted at the end of the day. They don't really care about it. And again, once you're known for being good at a couple of things, like she's good at men's cut. Now it's like, hey, you want your men's cut? You got to go to her and she's going to build up that clientele and that branding, right? Because part of branding is being good at a couple of things. Now, what advice would you have for someone today who's in the industry? Like, how would you tell them to sort of move up? Other than, you know, in addition to, you know, focusing on their strengths and focusing on a niche, what else would you kind of tell them? I would say, I mean, again, I don't, I'm not in the industry anymore. So I don't know what life is like in the salon now, you know, especially like coming back into salons after lockdown. Um, but I always told my assistants, this is be a really good communicator, ask questions, get really clear on what your client wants, repeat what they say to you. Like, your, your moneymaker, it doesn't seem like it, but your foundation is in your consultation. And I do this, I apply this to like every other job and industry I've been in since is ask questions, listen, repeat back and be realistic with what you can provide. If you have a client that wants A and it just literally is not going to happen with their hair type or with how often they're willing to come in the salon, communicate that. What's the typical week like for someone working in the salon industry? Like, what are the hours? How is like, is it a lot of missed appointments? Can you give some detail regarding that? Um, I mean, when I did it, I tried to pre-book a lot of my appointments. So that way I could have, you know, like my schedule accounted for. So that way you're not always like waiting for people to call or like, you know, kind of chasing down. I didn't chase clients. So that's kind of know what you do, but just like waiting for people yeah. to come in. Um, so when someone come in, I would say, you know, do you want to pre-book for four weeks out? You know, you like the evening time that's, that's going to get taken. And so I always try to pre-book as much as I can because that guaranteed my income. So that's another bit of advice I would do too, is like, and they apply this in sales too, is like, have your lead pipeline, your appointments. In sales, that's not really guaranteeing someone's going to buy something from you. But when you have pre-booked appointments with a cancellation policy, like that's you're guaranteeing your income. So I would try to book pre-book as many clients as I could. Um, you know, generally like the week 
starts like on a Tuesday or Wednesday, you know, before I was, um, right before I was letting go of my career. Um, I think I was working Tuesday through Friday. So I let go of weekends. You're going to work weekends. You're going to work Saturdays for like 10 years to build up your clientele. Um, so if you don't like working evenings or weekends, you're in the wrong business. And if you don't like talking to people, or if you're not good at talking to people, or you don't like small talk, you're in the wrong business. Um, those are all soft skills, but yet very, very imperative and are make or break skills that you should really hone in on if you're going to be in this, in this business. Um, you know, and it really depends. Like if you have like color services, those can take anywhere from two to four hours have haircuts, those can take 30 minutes to 90 minutes. Um, it just really depends on the client. And when I was working for myself, I took all control over my scheduling and booked it how I want, where when you're working for someone else, you're working for a salon, um, and you're an employee, they're going to tell you like, all right, we book, you know, 45 minutes for a haircut. We do, you know, 90 minutes for this or that. So you don't have control over that. Whereas everybody's situation is different. Some's going to go quick. Some's take longer. How many appointments would you say that you kind of had during the week? Like how many people or like, what's a good amount of clients to kind of have, right? So that you are going to be thriving and you're not going to have a chair empty. You know, I mean, honestly, it depends. That's, that's a very loaded question. It depends on you obviously want to have a lot of clients. I would say, you know, like at least like five service hair service, hair color services a day. Um, but it really depends. It's so varied now because with different color techniques, some of them take four to six hours and they're going to cost six or $700. So you can have one. So it, it just, honestly, it's, it really, really depends. Oh, I mean, that's good what to you know. want to do. Yeah. No. Can you work on multiple people at the same time in those six to seven hours or how is that like? Again, it depends. Like I would usually book a haircut like in between like a process time for, um, for like a color highlight or whatever. So, you know, it just, but other people wouldn't, some people would just like block it straight through and charge more because they didn't want to like run the risk of being of that person in between being late and then it screws up the color and you know, again, like you really have to fine tune and navigate how you want to work, how you want your, your day to look and what you want to make. So who are the type of people that weren't successful in this industry? You know, I wouldn't say that there's like successful or not successful. I worked, I always worked for people and particularly my last boss, she was very like, you know, you need to, you know, do X amount of money per day, you know, which I get because as an owner, you have a bottom line, you have to make two, you have rent to pay, you have water to pay for the whole thing. Um, you know, I would say the people that maybe were more challenged, had more challenges, were really resistant to ongoing community, ongoing education and just were not people, people. Now, how does someone like make the most amount of money? Like if they're in this career, like is it that they focus on their brand? They focus on a specific type of clientele or what kind of people have you seen make the most amount of money in this industry? I would say the people that probably make the most amount of money are going to be like your celebrity stylists, you know, like that wasn't really 
common in Denver, obviously, because it's a smaller city. But here in LA, I mean, you land a couple celebrity style, celebrity clients or a handful, like you're set. You don't need to have a lot of clients. Um, and charging a lot, charge for your service. You know, like I, I again, I'm retired. I'm out of the industry, so you know, I know what I do for me now. But I had a woman who inquired with me about doing her wedding, and it's out of town, and like. I go over this, excuse me, in my small business coaching as well, is back in all of your costs into that price. So like if you have a client, and this is a way to make really good money, is if you have a client and they're asking you to travel, one, you do a contract always for these freelance clients, always. You back into your cost, how much work you're going to have to miss from your day job or day jobs. Um, and then you charge for you know time. I wrap in hazard pay into my fee. We're still in pandemic, so I wrap in that. Um, my I know I'm reliable and I know I'm good, so I wrap that in. I have you know 25 years in it. Um, I also do a food and beverage and transportation stipend, which is additional if I'm flying out of town. The hotel and the air has to be covered by the client. I will absolutely not spend a dime on on any of it. Back in the day, you know, I used to be like, oh, just reimburse me, you know, for the flight. And I'm like, nope, you take care of it. You want me, you book it, you do it, you pay me, like you're paying for my food, you're paying for my transportation, everything. Because if not, then you just break even. Yeah. No, because I've seen that happen a lot where it's like, oh, wow, I'm going to get this much money and I get to travel. And then when you think about it, it's like, well, I don't work that day. I'm only working on this client. I've actually broken even. So yeah, I got a free trip, but I'm at a stage where it's like, I don't need free trips, right? I need money. I I have a business to run. Yeah. And that's, that's simple, like profit and loss, you know, P&L is like running, just running your numbers. Okay. You know, this is what I'm going to lose at work that day. Plus like I need to charge for the service. Plus it's time. Plus I have to like hire a dog setter, whatever the case may be. So what are some mistakes that you personally made along the way? I mean, I was a party animal, you know, in my early 20s, you know, as it's just an industry that has a proclivity towards partying and, uh, you know, you make a lot of cash really fast. Um, and so I would say, you know, like overspending on like just being frivolous. Um, I would say to not standing up to my boss or my employer, you know, and asking for, either support or um, just drawing like more clear boundaries and not firing clients who were, who wasted my time. Like people who canceled frequently or people who always ran late um, or just honestly that I just didn't like, like you're not going to like everyone. And there's some people, most of my clients were amazing. I'm still like friends and social with a lot of them. But you're going to run into people where you're like, oh, my God, like this chick is just she's so toxic and and draining. It's not worth your time. Like, get them out. Create that space for someone better. Yeah. Now, and I'm going to ask this question again. What was your biggest accomplishment for the salon part of your career? Um, I would say my biggest accomplishment... You know, I educated for a small amount of time for a pretty big company, and that was fun. 
I actually, um, I'm really good at sales and I actually was awarded three trips to Paris for outstanding retail sales. We used to carry a, a French product line and I worked really hard for that. Really, really hard. So that was definitely a big accomplishment. Nice. So that's another way to make money, just sort of upselling products, upselling other, because I know that's a big thing. A lot of barbers have like a beard oils and all these other things. I mean, you should. I mean, to be honest, like I, looking back, that's something that I would tell stylists too. Is like, if you have clients that aren't buying product from you, um, they're probably buying it like online. It's probably counterfeit, but salons pay their bills by selling product. Like services don't make a lot of like revenue because it takes product and money to do that service. So when you're selling retail, one, you're ensuring that what you did for the client is preserved as far as like color service, you know, shampoo, conditioner, um, you know, styling product. Like if you want it to look the way it did in the chair, like don't go home and use like just your own stuff. Um, and I was really, really good and still am very thorough on my education as far as how the product worked and why. I mean, down to like the science of it. And that's something to think of too. Like not, I mean, hair product can be expensive in a salon, but you know, that's honestly just part of it. That's part of your marketing and your ensuring your work that you did. And it looks good on the street by educating and selling product to your client. No, it makes sense. I mean, good product is definitely worth the money, right? It impacts how you look and, you know, why spend, you know, the two to six hours on the chair paying the couple hundred bucks to just go home and undo that work. And in like a week. That's exactly it. Like you'll undo it. Exactly. Yeah. Now, what made you get out of the industry? And when did it, was it quick or was it like, hey, I can't do this forever. I got to have an exit. I transitioned from working in a salon where I was an employee and, you know, we had like the good thing about that was, you know, we had benefits and we had like, you know, but we made a commission. So when you do that, when you're in a commission type model, um, generally you have, you know, some vacation time, you know, she chipped in on our health insurance, which was really nice, like matched a 401k. So it was like an actual, you know, like a, a business, how it should be. I think if you run a small business, and this is probably a hot take. I think if you have a small business, you should provide that for your for your employees, hands down, um, figure out a way because if not, then, you know, people leave you for a giant corporation, which is what people did, or they go work for themselves. I really, I didn't want to work for someone else anymore. I wanted control of my schedule. I wanted control of my, um, time. And so I worked, I transitioned into being completely self-employed. I, incorporated my company, my business. So, you know, I did all my fashion styling and all of that and hair under the same umbrella. Um, and that's a lot. That's, you know, that was a skill set that I learned along the way that is still very good to me now. And I just, you know, 21 years of anything is a long time. I started really young and like, you know, in the beginning of this episode covering over, you know, I probably wouldn't have done that if I were, or maybe I would have done something else if I knew that I was capable or could do other things. Um, within that time I did go to dipped my toe into holistic nutrition, went to school for a little bit. I 
um, withdrew because I had some family stuff happen, but, um, I just really wanted a change. I wanted, didn't want to do something physical. I didn't want my income relying on the reliability of people. And so, you know, once I made that decision, I was like, oh my God, like this chick canceled again, you know? And it's like, if you have people cancel in a week, or if there's like a snowstorm, like I was losing like $1,100 a week in revenue. And I have like booth rent to pay product, to pay for health insurance. I'm like my personal bottom line. Um, and so that was really it where it just hit me one morning and I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like I'm done. And I need to figure out a different skill set. I don't have a degree. I'm 37, 30, almost 37 at the time. Like, what do I, what do I even do? And I was so burnt out mentally and physically. I didn't know which direction to go. Um, and that that was that was a very tough reality to face. But I knew like I don't want to be 50 doing hair two days a week and like hating it and like my body falling apart. And it was very physically demanding and mentally demanding too. Yeah. So what areas did you kind of lean towards? When I initially got out of it, um, I picked up like a clothing, like sales job and it sounded great. And it was just, it was kind of a, like a total hot mess. And I was like, why did I just jump into the same thing? Like a client based, like yeah. sales job. Like I, that's what I got out of. Um, and I actually worked for a client for an interior design firm. I was her procurement manager, basically like her procurement HR, um, like some light bookkeeping, like all of that. I was like, I just want to sit at a desk. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to stand. <laughs> like, I just want to go in, walk in and leave. And I knew I needed to build a completely different skill set and like at start adding different bullet points to my resume and completely start over. And my end goal was I want a corporate job with benefits that's stable where I clock in, clock out. And I don't have to like do the business end of it. Yeah. Now, how'd you sort of pick up extra skills? Honestly, um, I just really learned along the way. I mean, I didn't know anything about interior design and she took a chance on me, but she was like, I know you're smart. She's like, I know you obviously know how to run your own business. She's like, you can pick this up. She's like, it's going to be a learning curve because it's new. Um, and I've never been afraid to like jump into something new. It's been kind of more of a blessing than a curse, but can be a blessing and a curse. Um, and I really just like learned by being in the weeds of a commercial interior design firm that was very busy. Now, how long did you stay at that? I was there for two years. I started there in 2016. Um, from 2016 to 2018 was very pivotal. I had a pretty significant death in the family, like an unexpected breakup, like just all these things. Like it was life just happened in a very short amount of time. And I went from being having an identity attached to a career and like a whole energy to like there was a lot of things that I wasn't anymore. And I was there for two years up until I moved to California. So now what prompted the move to California? Um, you know, I had been wanting to leave Denver for a long time. Um, I stayed because I was, I was a caretaker for my grandma and then she, she had passed and then an, a breakup happened unexpectedly. And I was like, there's no reason for me to be here anymore. Like my, I ended my career. 
I've, I did everything professionally within that career I set out to do. I want to live somewhere warm. And another um, former client, who we became friends, tight friends. She was like, you know, why don't you just move out here? She's like, I travel 90% of the time. I think my company might be hiring. You'll figure it out. Like, you know, just come out, like get your head right, get out of Denver. And so I did. And her, I worked a, a little like gift shop job right when I got to California. And, um, you know, it was, it was fine. It was like, you know, that's how you honestly get to know people. And her company was hiring. And um, so I started there. So that was the gift shop or that was a different? It was a different, yeah, it was the Fortune 500 medical device company I worked for. And I started on the marketing team. Nice. So how you started on the marketing team now? So that's a pretty big shift, right? You go from a very hands-on service-based business to more corporate. How was that shift for you? You know, when you're a hairdresser, makeup artist, when you're in the service industry, in the fashion industry, stylist, retail, all of that, like you're marketing. You have to sell yourself and your skill set and like your personality and what you can do and provide every 45 minutes with a client. And I I did do some social media stuff at one of the salons I worked at. Um, I started writing during that time. So I kind of had like all these little random skill sets that I just like accidentally picked up that applied to marketing. I always had an affinity towards imagery. Like I did photo shoots. Like I know how to do that. Um, I know how to write copy. I'm a writer. Um, so it was, it was actually a very, it was kind of a seamless transition in the creative regard, as far as like a corporate setting, it was a pretty antiquated company. So it was actually like, I took steps back as far as the technological platforms and such. Um, so that was that was a learning curve. That was like, oh my god, like this is like 2008. What are we doing? Um, so that was that was the hard part, and um, just being in a very like corporate white male ran setting. I was like, yo, there's like who, what? Like, there's no one here to relate to. Um, so that that is that. Those were the challenges for sure. Now, how'd you sort of deal with those challenges? I was very intimidated when I first started because I was like, I don't have a degree. You know, I'm in this marketing role, this huge company. And it took me about six weeks to be like, yo, I'm smarter than everybody in here. Like these people are just like old and white and grandfathered into their roles. Like they're like, they've been doing the same shit the same way and it's worked. And because the company's ran by old grandfathered in senior white people, like they're safe. So a lot of my like insecurities and stuff just really came down from that. And I'm naturally just like very vocal and upfront and um, brought my ideas to the table. My performance spoke for itself. Um, And yeah, I mean, I just like pushed, did my work, did it well, but like also I had a, I had an instance where a director made me cry. She, um, came into my cube and was very condescending to me about like an email I had sent. And I was like, she, she, she was just a bully and she, she made me cry. And I was, you know, I had to like take a breather on it. And I was like, is this really why I moved to California? Like uprooted my life, my savings to like be talked to like this. 
And I didn't look at her, talk to her for like two days. And I was like, can I talk to you? And she was like, sure. And I had written out this whole, whole thing. And I don't think she, I know she didn't expect like the new chick to come in and just like straight up, like confront her in her face. And she's like, you know, you haven't looked at me for two days. And I was like, I need to cool down. I was like, you don't want me to look at you. And she was like, that's very unprofessional of you to do that. And I said, well, it's unprofessional what you did. So let's have a talk about it. And from then on, like she, she kissed my ass for sure. Cause I was just like, nope, boundaries. Like I'm not going to have some like senior woman talk down to me like that. Yeah, no, I mean, look, that's so important because it's such a hard thing to do. But what a lot of people don't get is most of the time, you're not going to get fired for standing up for yourself, especially when they're the one in the wrong, right? It's not like she did her things right and she was nice about it. She was very kind. Of, there, there are probably hundreds of different better ways that she could handle it. And she chose one of the few ways that wasn't right. So if it really changes the dynamics because now they know like, hey, I actually have to talk to her like a human being and not just like someone who's just a, a lowly worker. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that. And you and I spoke about this on the phone. Um, what triggered this whole situation was um, you, you posting the DEI um, job posting from Adobe. And that um, that is something in my former career and anyone transitioning into anything, especially, you know, people without degrees were kind of like excluded. We are excluded from a lot. And I would say, you know, always advocate for yourself. Always like stand up for yourself. Um, I've had to do that a lot in the past, just in the past, like definitely in the past year, but definitely in the like past few weeks, even just very recent, you know, stand up for yourself, like put people in their place because people don't expect you to assert yourself and to be and to hold people accountable. Yeah. And I, I think that's such an important life skill because a lot of time people, with degree without degrees have this misconception like oh i don't have the degree i'm not qualified and i tell them it's like can you do the job or can you learn how to do the job you know what skills do you have and focus on that because at the end of the day you didn't have the degree yet you did the job perfectly fine you you know your results speak for themselves and that's what you really have to show and highlight and no one has authority over you because they have a degree right they only have authority over you if you sort of let them and cave into that power dynamic. But once you realize like, look, I come here, I'm a valued member of the team. I get stuff done and I'm a big contributor. I belong here. People treat you differently. They definitely do. Um, yeah, I was I was furloughed last year and they brought me back um, a couple months later and I, I was actually promoted. So not only can you get a spot in corporate America, but you can work remote, be a brown woman, and you can get promoted. So if that's you know a message to take home, you know it, it's certainly possible. And when I you know was brought back from from furlough, and everybody was very on edge, like you know it was very tense. Just everywhere is like, oh God, am I going to you know be able to keep my job? And I came back to a new director and, you know, like our get to know each other, like Zoom call, whatever. He was like, 
you know, asking my history. And I was like, yeah, hey, you know, I'm like own a business and I wrote a book, blah, blah, blah. You know, I was like, I was a hairdresser and I just didn't really talk about it too much. Yeah. And he was like, wait, you own a business? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, he's like, we have you in this role. And I said, yeah, I mean, I was brought back. The stipulation was this had to be my new role. It's not something that I necessarily wanted to do, but it was like, we're going to bring her back. This is your job. And he was like, we're not, he was like, you're not, your strengths are not being utilized properly. And I was like, thank you for recognizing that. And um, he fought long and hard to try to get me into a different, more suiting role. But, um, you know, another lesson to take with it is both him and the president of the company were like begging me to stay when I resigned. I mean, literally like what, what's it going to take to keep you? And you can be a person without a degree and prove yourself. And you do have to swim upstream a little bit more and make a dent. Like you can be noticed for your work and be acknowledged. No, because look, the thing about a business is if you're getting sales, you're getting, you're keeping customers happy. You're doing all that. They sort of lose a lot, lose a right? Because then, they're, mm-hmm. you know, the customers okay. will be like, oh, why did Andrea leave? Like, we like Andrea. We need someone mm-hmm. like her. And I've seen it happen. It's like, hey, we want to work with her. She's, yep. she's the one who brought us in and she's the one who built these relationships. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now, now. Did you, did you still, still do some of your, your uh, previous uh, role? Like, did you like do makeup on the side? Did you do some hair on the, hair side, on the side after you left um, the industry? Um, here and there. Um, I really, really needed a break from it. Like, I yeah. was really burned out. I really needed to focus my energy on starting something new and, like, adding bullet points to my resume and, like, learning new skills. I would do hair here and there for certain people yeah. at a certain price like yeah and and still you know it's like once a hairdresser always a hairdresser yeah you know yeah no look i mean look i used to be a tutor and stuff but yeah if someone comes in it's like hey can you tutor my, tutor my child and this and they give the right price like i'd go back into it you know go back into it right so now but how is it doing it now right because now it's different now it's like you don't need to do it it's just some extra money you don't do it as often so how is it now compared to before? Well, I'm in LA now. So um, I really haven't dove into it too, too much. One, you know, I moved to LA in the middle of a pandemic. So, you know, we weren't like, nobody was doing hair um, or just, you know, very, very carefully. So it was actually a girlfriend last November. She's a friend now and client. Um, She had asked me to do her hair for photo shoot for promo work. She's a DJ out here in LA. And I was like, you want me to do your hair? I was like, girl, I haven't done hair in a minute. And I was like, okay, if you want me to do it. And that's, you know, like I referenced before, I did it. And I was like, oh my God, I just really, really missed this. So it's got to be something that is creatively stimulating to me. Um, It's got to be on my time schedule. You know, like you get one time slot, that's it. Um, No late. Can't be late. I charge fifty dollars every ten minutes for someone who's late, um, and it's got to be you know with someone that I'm interested in. And here in LA, you know, I'm just barely like diving, thinking about embracing it again because it's a it's totally different. You know, yeah. like you could get on like movie sets, you can do 
just straight up just shoots all the time if you want. But um, I'm focusing my energy towards looking for a DEI role right now. So I haven't done too much of it. Oh, I mean, it's cool. And then, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of help you with that. Now, looking back, right? What would you tell your like 18-year-old self? Um, you know, I would probably tell her the things that my parents didn't have the capacity to tell me. Um, I would probably tell her like, you don't have to do this forever. You can change your mind. You're capable. You're smart. Um, if you do want to do this forever, you can, um, save your money. (laughs) Don't spend all your money on, on going out, but it's so easy to do when you're young and you know, you're like, yeah, I'll go out. Um, yeah, I mean, I would probably say, you know, there's other options, whether that's in the form of a degree or a completely different like certification, whatever, like you don't have to do this forever. And what advice would you have for someone who is 18 now who wants to, or, you know, 16, to 18, if they, they're they really interested in this industry, what advice would you have for them? You know, get your license, go through school, do all that, because that's, you know, the legal logistical part of it. Get into a salon that has a really strong education program. Work under someone as an assistant slash apprentice. Um, I would say for at least a year. Um, attend as much education as possible and have the salon pay for it. They they need to invest in their assistants because assistants don't don't make a ton of money. Like at one of the former salons I worked at, we we paid them as well like above industry standard, but, um, have the salon invest education in you and really be honest with yourself. Like whatever you're really good at, it may not be the salon model business model, but if you're really good at a few things, take that and run with it, make a career out of it. No, that's great advice. Now, if you had to do it over, what would you do? I was 18 today and had to do it all over again. I guess I've just been too busy working to even think about that. Um, I would probably, I don't regret my career at all. I don't. Um, it's, it's taught me people skills, business skills, small business skills, communication. Um, I would probably do like a little bit of hairdressing, you know? Um, but I probably would have gone to school to become a therapist. No, I mean, look, therapy is is a very important part of society and it's a very different thing. Now, was there anything that you really wanted to talk about? Any story that you wanted to share that you didn't share yet? Let's see. I mean, in regard to my former career, I think... Or your current career or the future. You know, I did... um, I'm glad that we connected um, based upon a comment that I left on your your post. And that that is something I think I do want to touch on a little bit. You and I spoke about this previously is... You posted the Adobe Diversity Inclusion Program Manager role job description on your LinkedIn and called out like how basically discriminatory it is and how people with without degrees are overlooked. And so what I did want to circle back to is like the root of how we connected is that post as I commented. So when I was at my former company, um, you know, 2020 happened and for lack of better terms, companies are trying to like cover their ass with diversity and inclusion roundtables and all this. So 
I participated in one and it was the president of the company and a couple other higher up executives and other teammates with throughout the global company who, um, you know, had certain experiences and I shared my experiences and I was very vocal and the company, the president was like, you know, just mortified that this was happening. And I'm like, really? Like, this just like happens all the time. So I was the only person to um, follow up with him. And he's like, you know, this person that's like supposed to be like very untouchable and like hard to get a hold of. And I was like, you know, you said to reach out if I wanted to continue the conversation and I do. And so we started meeting every couple weeks about DNI, about um, what the company should do, that there needed to be like a DEI manager role or um, chief diversity officer. He was like, you know, what would you do? I gave him a lot of ideas. I gave him a lot of, you know, this is what I would do. This is blah, blah, blah. And um, we, you know, we, we formed a really good, like professional chemistry and relationship. So when I left, he, the company didn't have the resources or just like didn't have their act together as far as putting together a role. Um, and when I left, he said, you know, what could I do? What could we do to keep you? And I was like a DEI role. It needs to happen. Like this is, this is just, you know, the experiences I had and the other team members had are unacceptable. Shouldn't happen. There needs to be this role and this program. And I was participant on the ERGs and the whole, the whole bit played my cards. Right. And, um, as you and I discussed, I'm, I'm currently looking for remote work, but I looked on their company page and they were hiring for DEI program manager role. And I was like, <gasps> I'm applying for that. Like I applied, I emailed everybody at the company. I followed up, followed up. I was like, listen, like I helped, I don't want to take all the credit, but I helped co-create that role. And as of last week, I was overlooked for it. It sucks because it's like you advocated for it and all that. And unfortunately, that's something I've seen happen in corporate time and time again. Um, you know, it could make all the right sense, but because of someone in HR or someone, you know, whatever reason, but you know, you're going to get a role and you know, your passions, a company will kind of see you. So I just really want to thank you for your time. You have such an interesting story and, you know, I really hope that, you know, someone listens to it and kind of understands the hairdressing career also understands that regardless of their career, that is not the end. That's not, they're not limited to just this career that people change. And it's all about knowing what you bring to the table. And then every career brings a different, unique perspective. Absolutely. And it's, I was talking about this with a um, friend the other day about, he, he called it credentialism and how like oppressive it can be. And he said, you know, companies are so stuck on like this template of like, you need this, this, and this, but it doesn't make any sense. He's like, some of the most intelligent people I know who are more capable don't have a degree. They're able to see things that people who have been stuck in this box just are not capable to have the capacity to see. So, you know, as a life lesson, you're allowed to change your mind. You're allowed to do different things, dive into other skill sets, always advocate for yourself and hold people accountable. Yeah, I think that's so important. So hold people accountable and hold yourself accountable to make sure that yeah to make sure that you do what you do so thank you so much for your time this was such a cool cool conversation and we'll definitely keep in touch and i just want to tell the audience we connected off of a post i made on linkedin because adobe 
was posting about an internship and they mentioned how it was a diversity and inclusion internship and they mentioned how you had to be in college or a master's program and it sort of defeated the purpose of diversity and inclusion because you had such strict requirements and it's like, what about someone like Andrea who's extremely passionate about diversity and inclusion who has a different career but is not going to college? You know, why should she not be considered? So I just want to leave that with the audience Start connecting, you know, do things. You never know how people, we, you never know how things happen, but, you know, put yourself out there and good things will happen. Always. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show's worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree INC. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem. NoDegree.com. Yeah. Talk to so, him. you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem? We can solve we them. We got this. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. Growing and knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in a knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where. Where I'm going, yeah